All right, guys, welcome to the Howdy Health Podcast. Uh, it is Friday morning. No, it's Thursday morning. Uh, we usually shoot on Thursdays, but I am so excited to be here. It is, uh, we're going to be talking to Delaney McGuire. He is a performance, performance coach. Elevate's the name of the company. Yes. And we were talking about earlier about all the things that you do, and we came up with you know, optimizing the human experience, right? Because it's a little bit of like how do you – your business your relationships all that stuff right exactly yeah for for the clients i typically work with most people i think in our culture come from this place of we're conditioned that it's all about the money you make it's all about the material life that you create for yourself and i think so many people get to this place where they've done that yet the other areas of their life tend to be bankrupt or at least slightly lopsided so for me it's all about how do we culturally redefine what performance is and make it okay, what are all the areas of my life? It is my career that's important to me, but it's also the quality of my relationships. It's my internal mental and emotional health. It's my life balance, the fun I have, the joy I emit on a daily basis. And how do we help people get to 10 out of 10 in all those areas while they maintain that career drive that they have? That's perfect. And and optimize is a huge word, even for us. It's it's a big part of our culture. And so, of course, we got Nurse Doza here as well. And I'm Tex Maxiogi. So, yeah, let's get the party started. So Let's get it. The performance aspect of it, we measure like biometrics on our aspect uh, of like, you know, how do you say you're performing better, right? People are like, I want to perform better. I like how you put that in that perspective because performance is not just professional, right? It's not just work like performance, right? You're talking like, well, what are you doing at home, right? What are you doing on a daily basis in order to prepare for performance, right? I think that's where you come in, right? Yeah, exactly. And just like, how do we define performance in general? Not seeing it just as that, but performance is like the quality of the conversation I have with my wife when I'm home from work. It's the time I'm spending with my kid. It's like, am I present when I'm playing basketball with my friends after work or am I not? And it's, to me, it's those micro adjustments that you can make throughout the day that actually affect all those things. Right, right. So typical client for you is who? For the most part, it's, it's usually people who are multidimensional, right? So it could be it could be someone who's just crushing it as an entrepreneur, but oftentimes it's people who have multiple big goals in their life. And it's actually when those goals clash is where they're looking for that extra support. So an example could be someone who's got like the corporate success, but they're actually looking to pivot into a more entrepreneurial role. So they're balancing like, okay, I'm, I'm here. I have security. I want to create this other lane for myself, but you know, I tend to find myself burnt out after work and I don't have the energy to pour into this side thing that I am really passionate about, but I haven't figured out how to have the energy for it. Or it might be doing really well in career but my relationship is struggling. So it's usually, there isn't a specific archetype of like, there's one problem to solve, but the common thread is that there's usually two things that are kind of butting heads in someone's life and they're looking how to manage at least two different variables. Interesting. And so they come to you because they don't see this as a problem, right? These are two interesting things that are occurring in their life that they want to work together, right? Like they don't want to just give up one or the other, it seems like, right? Yeah. It's, well, I mean, commonality for someone seeking out coaching there's usually a gap between where they are and where they want to be in their life so usually if i'm speaking at an event or someone hears my story and then it it usually sparks that light bulb of like oh i can have more Mm -hmm. because i think a lot of people maybe they don't even realize it initially and it's that excitement factor of like oh you know what that makes sense i don't actually have to settle for this job i hate i can also pursue this other thing i'm not necessarily limited to the experience that i have right now right because i think we also find that we were told that life is supposed to go a certain course for us right especially as men you know I was informed when I was younger, family life is very possible, or you can, you know, travel and have a professional life as well. But there was no ever explanation of like, this is how you get the most out of it later, other than the idea that you should go and experience or travel, things like that. I mean, yeah. that, that's not all life is, unfortunately, right? I think that a lot of times... Or fortunately. Well, 
I think a lot of times <laughs> I've learned this from Baldo is that if you do travel and you take yourself out of that original like common route or routine what happens is things differently uh things will happen differently so like maybe a conversation will change right maybe you go to a different market in the morning and now you start talking about something else completely different like oh yeah you should go over here and go experience this because you've never done it before now i like the the coaching aspect because you probably just get people to say can you get out of your comfort zone dude that is that is a massive massive part of it and i think yeah, it's just possibility to dream. And I like yeah. what you brought up too. Like we're not conditioned for that. And yeah. it's like you never grow. It's all yeah. most of our parents especially. And it's honoring that like the dip, the the different generations of life. It's like it was about security for our parents' generation. It was just like have money, right? Just say like, have security. And we live in a different generation now where we're super fortunate that security is actually like it's pretty easy to create security. Mm-hmm. But no one allows – no one's really ever taught us to ask like what would you love to experience in your life? Like if, if money didn't necessarily matter, what would you do for fun? And, and money does matter. And it's important to create that. But it's like, how do you infuse passion and joy into what you're doing and not just follow the safe and secure route? So I love that. I think it is exactly to that point of, um, and, and I think another thing that comes with it too is some people might not have an answer to that question. What would I love to do? Mm-hmm. And I think from my perspective, the way you find that is just yeah. comfort zone. Just get out and try things. Right. And when you get out and try things, you, it doesn't have to work. You could go to a market and you could absolutely hate it. But the fact that you tried it yep. yeah. and, and you tried on a consistent basis, <clears throat> I think is what matters. At least that doubts out of your mind. But something that came up to me, uh, I was, I think it was a podcast or, no, or maybe a master class that I was listening to. And it was talking about uh, the what's at top of our minds depending on your socioeconomic status right like because they were talking about how do you how do you um optimize or how do you bring people into this state of like wanting to help others it's like well first you got to get them out of the state first they have to be out of the state of like i need to survive right so so it was it was going back to like well give everyone x amount of money so they no longer have to worry about the basics right like they no no longer have to worry about the security and then they'll start thinking about what's better for the for the for the environment for oh that's what it was it was a talk about global uh, like how to like uh what is it like global issues right like maybe um climate change sure. and, and all that and it's sure. like well, how do you create a massive change like that <clears throat> to mm. get everyone to help out to like pick up the trash is like they don't give a shit about any of that because yeah. they how do I survive today? Yeah. Once we get them off of that, then all those other problems start to solve themselves because people automatically want to start thinking about like, well, I'm good. How else can I help? Sure. But we're never taught that, right? We're always taught about like survival. Yeah, that's true. So how much of it your job is figuring that part out? So my frame on, and I'm probably going to like half answer your question, yeah. but my frame on what you're talking about, of like, how do you get someone bought in on change? So I, to me, that's underlying threat, especially a lot of the coaching I do. It's like a lot of the times they're problem aware. They know their problem, but for whatever reason, they're not taking action. They're not making the necessary shifts in their life. So whether it be a personal thing, like a career shift or something that's more global of like, okay, how do I actually become a better citizen in my community? I think it's all grounded in not just security, but also emotional investment. So if someone knows they should lose weight, but for 20 years have never gotten themselves to the gym, to me, the answer in that lies in they're not emotionally invested in the implications enough. So it's like, how do you take someone into this place of like visualizing and feeling into, okay, you're sure you didn't work out for the last 20 years, you're 35, you have a daughter. Right now, you're not really spending time with her. You're not really connecting with her in the way you want to. And that's why you're here maybe talking to me. 
if you can get them to feel into that future vision of like how different could your life be because going missing a day in the gym or not picking up trash for one day implications basically nothing one time you walk past okay you can like you can yeah. rationalize that in your mind but if you can get someone to vis not just logically but viscerally in their heart feel the implication of that micro choice adding up like decades yeah it's like okay who are you when you're on your deathbed and your daughter is now 35 burying you what is the difference of that experience what if you started to take control of your health when she was six years old and if they can feel deeply into that emotional experience i think that's how you get someone to change so i guess to answer your question yeah. it would be like if not only do they create because you could be secure you could have money but if you're not emotionally connected to this like micro action it's like your brain's just your brain's always trying to conserve energy, right? So it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm just going to dismiss that thing. But if, if you, I think that's the power of documentaries, storytelling, things like that, because yeah. it's just like one video can shift your mindset, and then it's actually life giving, energy giving to take that moment to clean up the trash or whatever, because you you feel connected to the world you're creating. Yeah, yeah. and then then there's also the aspect of acting in the way that you want to be. Right, because if it's like, oh no, this is who I am. I'm a great citizen, or like, I'm a great father. I'm a great husband, and you just start acting that way, even if your thoughts aren't aligned. But at some point, it's, well, I'm I'm doing this now. My thoughts are aligned because I've been doing this forever now. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I want to touch on that because you you're bringing up the the routine, the mindset, yeah. right? Like the the neuroplasticity of this idea that you're always going to do this in your life. I always get up in the morning, I have a drink, I have a cup of coffee. Like imagine now you say, well, I'm not going to have coffee in the morning. All right. To undo that mindset of 30, 40, 50 years of drinking a cup of coffee every morning when you get up, it's so disruptive and someone's everyday routine, the rest of their day will be thrown off. And you think about, we say we're creatures of habit and so forth. So you say, okay, you want to get out of your comfort zone? If you drink coffee for 50 years and you just want to do something crazy, don't drink coffee for the next seven days. I did that recently. It was horrible. Right. <laughs> now, <laughs> horrible. Now, the thing is, you, know, you say the same thing. It's like, oh, my gosh. And I say, I joke around. I say, well, we're not deficient in caffeine. Right? And I've been thinking about this. A lady last week said, you know, most people shouldn't drink their first cup of coffee until like 90 minutes after they wake yeah. up. Right? And there's health benefits behind it and everything. And I was like, you know, that's really interesting. I don't really drink coffee until recently because it's warm you know, and it's cold weather, but yeah. at the same time, it's it brings up a good point. When you talk about the neuroplasticity of getting out of your comfort zone, you, Baldo, will be able to say, just do it. Tell yourself that you're great and you will believe it after the 30th time of doing it in a row. Yeah. Delaney says, feel that emotion of that 30th time when you finally say, yeah, my life will be better a month from now because I got up and did more to get better, right? Like that mindset alone Mixed in with the idea of going back to the, the hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Right? So uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs said that shelter, I believe food, and warmth is like a necessity. Yeah. It's like okay. the blanket security It's layer, the blanket right? security. Everything on top of that can be uh, t- built off of, right? This is your foundation, which I like. And But we're also fooled that we need a lot more than that. That's correct. So if you think about yeah. what we just had right now, and I've had this conversation with probably – an 80-year-old, a 70-year-old, and a 60-year-old recently. And I asked each one of them, what is it that you need in life right now? Right? The only thing that they cared about was their family. Mm. And was interested, and you can consider family close ones, right? So let's shift that idea for a second. You won't ever get out of that mindset most likely unless something traumatic happens, right? So when you get up in the morning and you say, well, how can I improve myself? 
you say, well, there are certain things that hold me true together, but then at the same time, if I want to improve on myself, I have to do something completely different that's going to be 180 from what I normally do. Yeah. But if I have my foundation there, food, you know, maybe money is the thing, shelter, whatever it is, I know that I'll be okay. Now, not having any of those things and just changing your mindset is like basically jumping off the ledge without a parachute and hoping that there's something that's going to catch you. That is scary as hell for most people, and that's yeah. why they will not succeed, mm, right? So they need a multidisciplinary approach, and I like I like what both of you are bringing to the table here because you're saying there has to be a multidisciplinary approach to changing your life. You can't just look for a magic bullet, right? Like here I am. I showed up every day, and all of a sudden I lost weight. Well, you didn't. You showed up to the gym every day, but you didn't lift a single weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like that didn't get you. Well, I was here. You told me to show up. Yep. Like, right, but you got to do some action. You got to move the you bar. Gotta move, you got to move, move the bar, right? So there's yeah, a yeah, second yeah. step to it. Yeah, well, it's like intentional practice, right? You can you can practice things incorrectly and you will always do them incorrectly. Yeah. You'll get very good at doing them very, really bad. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think to me there's a middle ground because I, I like what you're saying of, you know, you, you got to show up. And, and I, the language you used was like, if you have that security, then you have permission to make the 180 shift because it's scary. I actually see it a slightly different way that's like, I think the security is helpful. Sometimes without security is when you got to do it. Like if you don't have security, sometimes that's actually the superpower because you're like, I'm fucked. Like I don't have, I don't <laughs> might, have as, like, might as well just, I don't have the comfortable yeah. choice to just like sit back and chill. So like, I got to take action. But I think also it's helpful for people to find this middle ground mindset of like, okay, showing up to the gym isn't enough, but also being perfect isn't necessarily either. And rather than 180 degree shift today, Three percent, three percent shift today. Three yep. percent shift the next day. Three percent shift the next day. And it's like if you're showing up, like I, I love to celebrate just attempts, and that's I think how my life changed. Like I used to be addicted to alcohol and drugs. I used to everything in my life used to suck, and it was literally just a shift of, I just got to show up. I'm so scared. I'm so scared of these changes I need to make. But yeah. if I just show up and do the reps. I have faith that I will learn every day and I won't even notice the changing on a day-to-day basis, but it's just that kind yeah. of Well, it's crazy because it's, so it's a tool. I got two points. One of them is that, uh, because I use the, the feeling into the emotion during visualization practice, the way I implement it is that I just make a challenge. I was like, all right, so then for the next 45 days, this is what I'm doing. And then my only focus is on that. And then when I go back to my meditation visualization, I can focus on the feeling, but either one can work on their own. Or try the different, like I always like to tell people, like there's so many different tools, try them all. Yeah. Which one do you like better? Absolutely. Right? Uh, Can I ask and, you a question about yeah. about that? I, I like those approaches too. And I, I'm a very systematic person. It's like, I want to get good at dancing. Cool. Every Thursday, I'm going to like yeah. get people together and we're going to practice and you know, whatever the thing is, just systematically. But I think the one pitfall that has, because we're not perfect humans, is the accountability factor. So when you practice for yourself, how do you hold yourself accountable to these commitments? <laughs> That's funny. I don't know anymore. It's because it's not a problem anymore, usually. You just become the person yeah. who is but, self-accountable. But when you did, when you first started a new routine. that uh, It's funny because I went on a walk with, with Katie Yurko this morning, and we were talking about, like, she's like, I wish I could get up in the mornings. And I was like, it's been a long time, but there was a point where I was reading a bunch of books, and I was doing sales, and I was, like, all this other stuff. And, and the thing that I kept reading was that how this millionaire and that millionaire wakes up at 530 in the morning. So I was just like, well, that's what I'm going to do. And, and so then I just made it. And, and I do remember it being really difficult for whatever reason, like at, for let's say whatever first 60 days and, and 
and no matter what i was like i mean i would feel like crap and 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 at some point i gave myself another to do thing so at some point it became like okay well if i'm waking up at 5:30 then i got to get on the phone and and call 100 people at by by 7am mm. and then all and then all of a sudden that's what i was doing and so so then it became about just that and I've been an athlete, so it's always been like practice your serve a hundred times so you can make it, you know, so it's that type of thing. I don't know if that, that was just instilled since the beginning, but I don't remember when and that was because the other thing is I used to be very OCD and at some point was like, how do I break this? Mm. And so the answer was like, well, I'm going to put everything crooked in my room so I can get comfortable with that. And this, and to this year I do, I do a challenge every year and, and the way I come up with that is the thing that I think about that tells my, that I tell myself like, Oh, I could never do that. That, that becomes my challenge. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I like the challenge idea. It pushes somebody to set a goal. All right. Which everyone loves goals. Right. But, but the accountability part, I don't know, but that's it right there. Yeah. Right. And maybe that's what it is, is that you challenge yourself, right? Like a 30 day challenge for yoga. Right, like you think you start. I mean, because you've done yoga every day now for what seven, eight years. Yeah, and that started as a thirty-day. Th- well, that started as I'm just gonna go for a week, and then someone was celebrating the thirty-day. I was like, well, I could do that at least, and then and then yeah. But you gave me, then, th- but you gave me a thirty-day challenge. Yeah, and you say go to yoga thirty days in a row. It'll change your life. Mm. Honestly, I did. Well, I, I, just, I didn't work out and do anything else. I just did yoga. Well, I just ran into Jason on our walk too, yeah. and he was like, "I'm doing this challenge with a buddy of mine that we take a picture of this of a sunrise for 100 days in a row." And I was like, "That's that's, that's a incredible. great challenge. That's incredible." <laughs> and that actually almost loops back into the accountability thing because, like, not you're not just choosing that for yourself, and then no one knows about it. Yeah, he knows about it. Right. Right. So it's almost like this cyclical thing, like fuck, I'm gonna have to see Baldo. It does. So, so, I, gotta, so I it like does that. make it easier whenever the, you announce it to people. That's it, and yeah. you have to do it. An accountability coach is even like a sponsor, yeah, right? Like literally. you say, I'm gonna come to you and I'm going to tell you something because when you tell something, that is an action, and it changes the mindset at the same time because now your body says, oh. It came out of my mouth. It had to be a thought process. You're saying I'm going to get up every day now for 100 days in a row and take a photo of a sunrise. Mm-hmm. As second you say it out loud, all of a sudden it becomes true. Whether you realize it or not, you could dismiss the truth that you just said that or you could say I'm going to accept that now because what does that feel like? <sighs> huh? Visualize the idea on the 100th day when you get up, when you're crying and tears running down your <laughs> eyes because you're sitting next to your friend with the challenge and it happens to be at the most beautiful sunset off a cliff next to the Pacific Ocean because you said, let's do this. Let's fly out there yeah. for our 100th day and do this. And all of a sudden, you're like, I can die happy now because I did something I never thought I could do. I experienced a whole other meaning of life and I realized there's much more to this than I thought ever. Yeah. But you know, there, I think there's an interesting thing to what you just said when you say uh, – you speak it out loud and it's now truth. I think that can actually get people in trouble because if you had build a habit of saying something, even if it's like true in your mind, if you don't act on that unconsciously, I believe that that erodes at your self integrity. So it's like, that's interesting. That's the accountability factor, right? Yeah. Well, even just like, like you've built up a thing where if you say something, you just do it and you don't have to think about it. So your unconscious integrity with yourself is really high. I would be very ashamed if I didn't go through with something I said. Ah, <laughs> there you go. So you brought that up. So yeah. go back to somebody mentioned earlier uh, about when – oh, when you were talking about the global climate thing, that their mindset was just taking care of the world. Okay, When your frequency is a higher level, 
you do not think about anything else except others around you and other things around you. Yeah. People who are self-aware are actually more aware of their surroundings than anything else, right? The people who are unaware of their surroundings are focused too much internally on themselves right now because mm. they're going through inner turmoil, right? The anger, the guilt, the shame. When was the last time you were ashamed of anything? I mean, not really. Not Years? It's been a while, yeah. Delaney? I still experience very human emotions. I was probably shameful in the last week for sure. Is it something that you felt a shift but, go into? Right? But it's different because when you're asking me that, I'm thinking about where I'm like secluded in the back, kind of like I don't want to, I don't want anyone to see me, kind of like. Yeah. The, there's there's definitely a lot more forgiveness, and when I have that emotion, so I think it passes by quicker. Sure. And I'll say just to clarify more, like, you know, we have our highest self, you have your wounded inner child self, you know. So like, if I'm in, a, if I'm collaborating with a bunch of high level entrepreneurs, and they're all like crushing their career like i spend rooms i spend a lot of time in rooms with people who are like really really high level in the coaching space and sometimes i feel like i'm reserved or i'm like not wanting to share my voice i know that's not my highest self i have the awareness in the moment that's not who i truly am but i very much still have an active inner child inside of me that's being nurtured and healed and it's just like giving compassion to that that's interesting and it's kind of the old idea that you kill your ego quote unquote i don't think you really ever kill it hmm. and nor i think you ever really get rid of shame Right, because what happens is it's always there. It's just that it's like a radio station. You don't tap into it too much. Yeah, like acknowledge it, send it compassion, send the send the shameful part of me compassion. Right, because then I think from the trauma aspect, the way you address the shame is you go back to it when you're ready and prepared. Now this is the difficult part because most people cannot handle that because whatever emotion and episodes in life that are attached with that feeling, that frequency can be detrimental to people. That's why they suppress it. But if you have basically done so much work on yourself or maybe you're just like, F it, I'm going to go there yeah. because this is this is my last bit. Eventually that you realize like, man, this thing is just annoying the crap out of me. Yeah. It's just always there. It's, it's right like there. You just got to face it. You got to face it. And when you face it, you say, I am so ready to do this that you can throw something at me and I won't feel the shame that I did 10, 20 years ago when I was experiencing this. Like, I know that's not me anymore. Mm. I know that's not the same person I am 30 years from now. You know, that's not, I can handle that. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And that's, that's, that to me is probably the point where you've experienced a whole life. You've gone through emotions, experiences, you've made your men's, you've cleaned your side of the street, they'll say, right? Mm. And then what will happen is you say, I'm good now. My foundation is I've done my part. I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'll make a lot more mistakes. I will learn from them because we're all human. But at the same time, I do realize what I need in order to function and optimize in order to make things around me better. Mm. Yeah. That's that's it. That's That to me is the most scientific approach to the human functionality. But when you throw emotions and scars and trauma in it, it throws everything yeah. off. <laughs> So what got you into this path? Because you know, the I've known you for a couple months now. Well, probably longer than that. Mm -hmm. Maybe a year. Yeah. Uh, and, like that. and it feels like you've well, the, the thoughts that I, that come up to me whenever I see you is like it 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 looks like you have, like this is your path, right? Like you you know what you're doing and you love it, right? What got you into that? Yeah, man. So it honestly was bred out of just like that life experience. I love the coaching industry because everyone who's in it usually has like a crazy fucked up life experience. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that was definitely me. So like, uh, I mean, I'll just share it at a high level and if we want to go deeper, we can, but I grew up in an alcoholic household. So 
I never understood any of this with conscious awareness at the time, but looking back, it was just like a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of really low self-worth, low self-confidence, no self-identity, uh, just a, a ton of wounding. And as I grew up, I, I adopted the mask of party kid. That was a really useful mask for me. It, it helped me. And I had a ton of things, like crazy anxiety could barely make eye contact sure, with people. Sure. It was super fidgety. Um, so partying was and alcohol was the best way to mask that. So in high school, um, I tried to become the cool kid, and I, it kind of worked. You know, I was always good at school, so went off to college, joined a frat. I became like the frat guy and running the frat. And these this ten, these patterns came with me through college as well. So when I look at it, it's like okay, I was always really good at following the rules, really good at school. Um, I you know in culture, it's celebrated to be like cool, fun, party, and I had created this really perfect world around me after college. I was working a high-level corporate job. I was like, I was basically reporting the chief technology officer of this massive healthcare company. So I was like in the boardrooms all the time. I was like super advanced in my career at the time. And I had like the cool apartment and all these things. But it really got to a place where even though I had everything perfect on the outside, my internal world was just getting emptier and emptier and emptier. And I was just like blacking out four nights a week, doing a bunch of cocaine, things like that. And it just literally was a spiritual rock bottom one day where it was just like, I wasn't even spiritual, but there was a day where I woke up in my bed and I just like had this visceral feeling that there was no soul in my body. I had never even used the word soul before, but I was like, well, it exists because I, I don't can, have, one. I can feel the absence <laughs> of it in this moment. And Interesting. Yeah, and it just was like I heard this voice outside me being like, "If you don't make a change soon, something really bad's gonna happen to you." And it's just the first time I realized, like, okay, I like resent my dad who's like been down this path, but I'm no longer this innocent college kid drinking. I'm like, I'm an adult now, and I'm I'm still reinforcing these patterns. So, long story short, that led me to just searching for answers, and it led me to I really don't believe I found this path. I felt I very much feel like I was guided to it because just like the right podcast the right book the right random recommendation from people just kept falling into my lap and slowly but surely it was really all just to heal myself like you talk about like so much inner pain um seeking for answers i was fortunate to have the capacity to uh, tap into discipline too i literally set a 52 week challenge of getting out of my comfort zone so every week i did one thing out of my comfort zone because i had no idea what i was looking for um but I eventually left Chicago, did a lot of traveling, stumbled into the coaching space, just kind of innocently stumbling into this path. But eventually just like learning more and more tools and feeling deeply that it's a shame that our culture doesn't have these tools widely available. And I just felt extremely called to be able to bring that to more people. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I like the way you put that, that you, all of a sudden you just felt an absence of, of a soul and you're like, I guess, yeah. That means that it's like fine. if there's a space for it, then it should exist, right? Yeah, and, like, <laughs> and I remember, I remember, I had no idea what to do. Like, I had no clue what to do, and I, I was not religious at all. But I started going to a non-denominational church because, like, I have no idea. I don't know what kind of people I need around me, but this is better than nothing. Like, I just need people that are like good humans. Sure. Even though if you said the word meditation, they would look at you like, yeah, yeah, you're an alien. Well, they say higher power now, and that means a whole different meaning for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, those rooms, you turn it over, right? And what's interesting, yeah. everyone you meet in this space, the health and wellness, it's not like they got like, I'm super healthy and I was a wonderful athlete. And all of a sudden, I just decided I'm going to keep being a coach. Yeah. And it's like, nah, you're thinking a basketball coach. You know, this is a whole different kind. You're dealing with people who are, you know, really down and they've accomplished everything in life. But you're like, why? You have everything you could possibly want. Yeah. 
And you did. You yeah. had everything you wanted. Literally. And I think you I think it's almost an important part of the journey and like I feel super grateful to hit that point at 23 years old. Some people will wait like it's different levels. My ceiling was diff- at that point was different than others, but like in some ways you kind of have to reach those things you think you need until you can shatter that perception. Interesting. It's kind of like the we've asked before, do you have to hit the rock bottom in order to get there? I still go with the idea you don't have to, but it's sometimes needed. I don't think you need to. I think that's what's awesome about like people like, oh, another podcaster, blah, blah, whatever, yeah. right? But <laughs> I think it's actually the people doing this work that offer that opportunity. Yeah. Sometimes it can be that exciting thought or exciting idea. Like if you can meet someone from a place of excitement. Yeah. Like you don't have to go there. Yeah. Like I'm telling you right you now, anyone necessarily- is listening, like you don't have to go through what we all went through like to get to the point of realization like, oh, the foundations we need are shelter, food, water, warmth. Yeah. Like it's still it. Money is a exchange of goods and services for whatever you deem needed. If you're a coach, you have a job anywhere you go, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so what kind of? Uh, not that it matters for who for you. I'm just curious. Like, what kind of like coaching programs that you have you gone through? Like uh, uh, NLP stuff, or what do you? Yeah, for sure. So, like, what found you in that path? Yes, yeah. it's so funny. Um, my first entry into it, I remember. I remember just deciding I was going to become a coach. Kind of similar thing. I have no idea how it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and I have one formal coaching certification, and I probably garner about like 3% of my coaching confidence from it. It was just like an online program. I think I literally got it on Black Friday. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? At the very least, I can do this program, and I can call myself a coach. You know? Yeah. <laughs> this is first step. Um, but it was solid. I mean, it's nice to go through the, the theoretical. It was like a – what was it called? It was like a transformational coach, like life transformational coaching or something. But it gave some great tools. It kind of gave some great frameworks of, okay, these are some frames you can take people through. Start them with getting clear on their purpose. Then take them through these different yeah. you know, different practices. Um, but there have been two investments I've made in myself that definitely were more the core of the confidence and like self-identity in the coach and how I support others. And I truly believe you don't necessarily have to, but you kind of need to go through the stuff yourself first and foremost. And um one of the biggest things in 2020, I went through Aubrey Marcus's Fit for Service com- program. I don't I know if you're that. familiar with him and his, his community. But it's essentially a year-long program that's all about uh, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual um, becoming fit for service in each of those categories. So like fit to serve your purpose, fit to make an impact. So for me, it was just like a year of being surrounded by super high-level entrepreneurs and doing the work together. So that, that just shed a lot, a ton of light on my own wounding. It was a very emotionally turbulent year for me. Um, but one, I got to experience coaching at a super high level from people who have been in the game for a very long time. And I got to do, just do a ton of my own work. And I think that would really set the foundation because you can like coach from a place of logical. But I think when you've been through the things and you're making those shifts and you're going through that process of being in a different career, completely throwing it in the garbage can and starting fresh, it's like through going through that yourself is how you're able to support others. And... You guys familiar with Preston Smiles? He's he's local in Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you guys are at our. You guys came to our. I was like, wait, where did I remember? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, in 2020, I also went through one of his programs. That was a year long like business accelerator for coaches. And I would say I get most got most of my coaching confidence through that because it was just like every week you're on two to three calls with coaches who are doing it at a really high level and 200 coaches in like in the audience in the community and you're all just like coaching together. So just like so much so many reps being in the coaching space like that's and it's just you catch people different people's styles different people's approaches and things like that so a lot of it's um 
Yeah, a lot of it's just like pulling from different styles. Certainly. He became a, a student. Exactly. Well, so, uh, stay a student. Stay a student. <laughs> well, uh, well, yeah, that, that's that's the reason for the for the question is because I, I'm always interested in, in other tools. Anytime yeah. like I go to any conference or men's group and they're like, well, this is what I do. I'm like, oh, that seems like a cool tool. Like, I'll try that. Yeah. And, and 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 so I'm always curious, like, what was the one like what well, this is fun? Because at some point it gets to like, I need to do this to at some point. You're like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Like, now I'm this is who I am now. I, oh, I learn, I keep learning. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's always a cool, yeah. cool spot to be in. Exactly. <laughs> and I think if you think more about like tools, practices, like what are the tangible things for me, a lot of what I teach is like trying to break it down as systematically as possible. Like I mentioned earlier, and it, it really boils down to me, like empowering people with a ton of like just the daily practice and tools. A lot, I mean, I've gotten a yoga teacher training. I've done a breathwork certification, but it's a lot of just like you learn the things you get intuitive with them and you want to be able to pass them down. So a lot of it really is just yeah. like, okay, eventually you create this orientation of where you want to get to in your life. How do you break that down into the small little things you just got to commit to on a daily basis? Some of those are action-oriented, like you want to start a podcast, cool, make that happen. But some of it really just is like, let me start doing breath work. Let me start meditating and like realizing how much energy you tap into, yeah. how much extra creative energy, extra confidence, extra groundedness you get access yeah. to. Yeah. I had a, a talk with a guy yesterday. He's probably his mid-60s. And you love talking to the old people, I, huh? I, well, you learn. <laughs> yeah. But the, the thing is, reframe. I mean, I don't understand how people don't like you. We was te- you know, respect your elders and all that. But well, if you ask an eight-year-old, they have twenty years on you, right? Yeah, <laughs> but they've they gone twenty years of experience. They, on they've you. gone through it all. They're like, yeah. like you don't know what you're. Ta- yes, they do. They know exactly what they're talking about because my my dad and my uncle were they grew up dirt poor. Dirt poor. They didn't have the opportunity to just go run to the store and just pick up some food because they were hungry. Like buy one item at the store. They could buy one item at the store because that's all they could afford. And they had to split that five ways, right? So you talk about how did you make that when you needed a sense of security, right? I asked my dad and my uncle, like, what's it like to sleep in a, the caboose of a, of, a, of a train with hay as your mattress? What's that like? He's like, well, it was awesome when we finally moved into the farmhouse because when we moved into the farmhouse and we were able to take that over, we had a roof over our head. Mm. Right? Perspective. Perspective. Yeah. And to me, I was like, that's incredible. I didn't have to go through that in my teens because my dad made sure I never went through that. And so when I asked my dad and I asked my uncle after so many years of life, and I said, what is it? What's the secret? Like, what do you want? What, what should we do? And my dad was like, you should reinvest into the things that matter the most to you. If you're a family person, then that's your kids. That's what I did. I invested into y'all. We did whatever we could to make sure that you had a better life so we could pay it forward. Mm-hmm. And then you could make your kids even better and by a ripple effect because they're educators, right? Like a ripple effect. And you mentioned something earlier. It brings up a good point, the teachability. If you are teachable, you will go far in life. The second that you think that you know it all or you're like, I'm a master of this and blah, 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 it's bullshit. Mm. I, hate to, I hate using that word because it, master this and all that. It's like, you yeah, have a master's degree in nursing, but my education didn't start until I went into practice. And mm. then I got schooled. <laughs> right? like, but, really but it's also schooled. like, I'm not really a master if I'm not continuing to learn. Well, people can right. get a master's degree and not use it. Yeah. I mean, that's how many people do you know? They're like, oh, I have that degree and I just don't use it. I okay, mean, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So like 10,000 hours. 
I think about that every single day. Bruce Lee used to pra- know so, so many methods, right? He used to know so many methods, but he said, I can knock you out with one blow. I'm going to master that one that you're never going to be able to beat me at. And from then on, I know my confidence is I got one thing that I'm sure of. So then when I go out and you have all these tools, imagine you're out in a tribe and they're like, Delaney, what can you bring to the table? Oh, I know how to do this. Awesome. You really do? You're in charge of that? And then mm. teach other people how to do that too. Yep. Yep. That's it. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, okay, my mission in life now as a coach, a, a practitioner, provider, a guide. That's mm-hmm. it. I'm going to teach her. Because if I teach my kids how to tie a knot and how to take care of their bodies and how to get good sunlight and how to eat right. When they're 60 and 70 years old, they can teach their kids and their grandkids the same approach that was passed mm. along. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing I could ever imagine. Yep. Right? That's yep. paying it forward. Literally. But you have to go through all those experiences and pain. Pain. Tell me about pain, Delaney. Man, that's been a big thing for me even lately, man. I I don't know what drew me to it, but I actually just listened to David Goggin's audiobook and it just it's a fascinating thing. Pain to me, I think all life answers lie in the pain. Actually, let me let me even just speak to this. So when I was going through the shift in my life yeah. and I was like, you know, the most pivotal moment, I read this book that I stumbled through. Funny thing is like I wasn't even searching for spirituality. I was like, how do I get better with girls? You know, so I was listening to, <laughs> sure. a, I was listening to a podcast was about picking up chicks or something. Uh, but there was this guy on who wrote this book called Fearvana. His name's Akshay Nanavati. Have you guys heard of him? Uh-uh. He's, he's low-key, but he's phenomenal. So he was a ex-Navy SEAL. He had some crazy war experiences, came back, had a ton of PTSD, and almost killed himself. He's an alcoholic, got addicted to drugs, and he was like, nope, not going to do that. I'm, I'm never going to put a gun in my head again, so I'm going to figure this out. And his book was a really – I thought it was really phenomenal because it takes neuroscience and all these things, but boils it down to just super simple understanding. But his hypothesis was like all the pain he was experiencing in his life – all the turmoil, all the sorrow was a result of his relationship with discomfort. So you could call discomfort pain, you could call it fear, whatever you want to call it. But the big reframe for me, because it really spoke to me, was like, oh my God, I'm so socially anxious. I'm like basically afraid of the world. I have no confidence, but it's because I'm, I'm running. I've been numbing and hiding my whole life. Unconsciously, so I can't make it my fault. I can have compassion for that part of me. But ultimately, it was that I had these pains and... I was just trying to sweep them under the rug. And th- I can only speak to my own life experience, but for me, when I, the way I've found confidence and found purpose and direction is just always looking to what are those things that feel like they're restricting me. Yeah. If I sat down, if, if you guys invited me in to do a podcast and I like came up with some bullshit excuse because there was a part of me that was nervous about it, you know, that is a micro experience. But if I'm treating, it's just how I'm treating my discomfort. So if I'm doing it there, I'm doing it in my relationship. I'm doing it in my business. I'm doing it probably in how I take care of my mental and emotional health. But if I can become the person who is just like constantly monitoring for discomfort and saying, yes, kind of like you said, the thing I don't think I can do, I'm going to commit to it. That's how I believe we reframe our self-perception. That's how we almost create this sense of freedom in our life. Because if we're the person who, again, you don't got to do it perfectly. I could have completely fucked up this podcast if I was nervous about it. But um, the fact that I said yes. And I continue to say yes, yeah. I think is what matters. Yeah. Uh, you made me bring up an, an idea that I'm... It's like cha- how, you, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you made me just change a, a mindset. Pain associated with discomfort now. Well, I, I, quick, I like that approach, actually. I, I have a question because pain for sure or, or fear 
is is for sure like you're you're you you're anticipating some sort of pain that you don't want to deal with. Yes. But is fear itself pain? I think that fear is the uh not expectation. You I'm, the word is escaping me, but you're like expecting it's the expectation that that pain is about to come. So right, this is like I want to like you know let's fear heights or whatever, right? Like yeah. I don't want to fall. I'm fearful of that because yeah. it's gonna hurt. I you know what yeah. there's, but is the fear itself a pain? Like I'm I'm, it, it just came up to me. And I'm just wondering. It's a precursor. So I, I think it's actually I actually <laughs> that's a precursor, right? Uh, I think, but I think it can actually be both because yes, it's an emanation of you expecting to experience pain, but also the experience of fear is it's kind of painful in the body. It's yeah. not necessarily real, but to your somatic body, it's trauma. Yeah, it's trauma. This, it's the same vibration. It's the same low vibration. Fearfulness is uh, associated with a negative emotion attached to it yeah. whenever you think about fear. Unless you're one of those people that say pain is love, fear is love, right? Like I fear the unknown, but that's why I travel in the dark. <laughs> mm, uh, I like it. Yeah, I like Charlie in the dark because you can just jam out better. And On a side note, <laughs> we just found out he wants to go to Berlin for some reason, right? So if anyone's listening to this, uh, there's something called is the Black Forest. Black Forest. The darkest place on earth. Oh, shit. Okay. You can go out there for a week. Yeah. Pitch black. Really? It's safe, but it's pitch black. I'm thinking we can throw our uh, my, my birthday party there. <laughs> a glow stick party? That would be cool. So we just have we have to figure out if they would allow any of that. But even then, if it's just if it's just dark and maybe you can make yourself glow. Yeah, make yourself glow. I'd have to like make love to a (laughs) jellyfish or something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm down, but like you know, I'm just (laughs) so the. The pain associated with discomfort, going back to that. The reason I said I thought it was interesting is I used to work in pain management. And I've brought this up many times before. When you would talk to someone who's in pain, their rebuttal was, you don't know what it's like to have this pain that eats at you every day. It tears away at your mind. It changes your appetite. It changes your relationships. It changes your sleep patterns. Right, it changes your work day. Like it quits, it makes you quit a job if you if you have too much pain, mm. and then you go on disability. Yep. Right. So you talk about a, a mindset where you have people who are sitting there every day, and they're thinking, "I can't do this." I would literally do yoga poses and talk about chiropractic and turmeric, you know, because they couldn't afford to buy supplements, right? Yep. So yeah, it's like yeah. you can get turmeric spices, right, and throw that in your eggs in the morning, right? Mm-hmm all these choices and they'd still say no give me my pills and i was like interesting but if you switch the word to discomfort the idea is that we go through pain to experience the discomfort means that our mindset is strong enough to understand that this is a necessity it is part of the change imagine if a caterpillar had to experience pain when it's shifted into a butterfly they would have no fear that's expectations that they just say that's part of life, son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to go through it because at the end, when you turn to a butterfly and you can fly anywhere around the world, it will be worth it. Literally, yeah. I love it, man. I think I've, I've thrown enough shade at like the David Goggins mentality that's like life is pain. You should seek out pain, but I I went back and I listened to it because I actually think it's misunderstood. 
Like, I don't necessarily think seeking out pain is the approach to life. Sure. I would definitely <laughs> say create as much joy as possible, as much love, as much connection. But also knowing, like, being able to reframe that pain is a part of life. And yeah. it's like... Embrace we, it. Yeah. And we do, but we... And to his point, very Goggins-esque, it's like we grew up in a very, like, coddled society where life is easy. So even if, despite our parents' best intentions, I think it's very easy to have a subconscious association with pain that like pain is bad pain should be avoided because we just don't really have those trials and tribulations so i think when we can do the hard thing and just become the person who's like experiencing healthy doses of pain to move through it to allow it to come up and then not need to go numb it but then just like let it fall away it's like oh you don't have power over me you're actually neutral like i can hold you my somatic body can can hold you and you bring up a good point so there's a a book i think it's by emerson myers it's called the mind gut connection. Mm. We got about um, five minutes. Perfect. Okay. I'll wrap this up quick. So we have uh, this book that I read a couple years ago that said this physician was he was a I think a doc a, a surgeon and he would have patients that come to him with all kinds of GI issues, lots of pain, lots of digestive issues. He said none of most of them didn't need surgery at all. He turned into a therapist because mm. after a while, when they started addressing the issues, all the pain went away. And he said, for some reason... The emotional pain. The emotional pain. He goes, for some reason, their physical elements are improving once they relieve the emotional trauma and pain associated with past experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That stuff is wild, man. And this is a science guy saying, like, what gives? And all of us here who's worked on the trauma said, oh, yeah, you hold on to shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, a-, a book that's similar to that that I also recommend uh, is um, Psycho-Cybernetics. Okay. Cool. Maxwell Maltz. Yeah. 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 And and, and he was a um, surgeon, a a um, neurosurgeon. A, no, 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 no. A surgeon, like a like facelifts and oh. boob jobs and oh, all yeah. that stuff, and and became so powerful with that stuff. And but at the end of the day, it's like, man, I change them all the time, and nothing really changes yeah. for them, right? Because it's not band aid solution. Yeah, correct. And it's like the most. And and so he became a psychiatrist after that. So wow. it was, so it's really neat. And but it's all performance stuff. Like that's very much like a book that that is given to salespeople to yeah. optimize their their sales approaches. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna check that out. So when we were like year two or three, remember AO? Uh, mm-hmm. We were at yeah. Athletic Outcomes. We were. I was stressed to the max, dude. And I'm like not sleeping. We were at the startup stage where you're worried about paying the next bill and all that. Yeah. All those cool as a cucumber over there partying. And I'm like, what up? And he's like, hey, read this book. And he gives me that book, and he just says, "Read that paragraph." And I, if you probably remember which one it was, and I was like, "Okay, why did you just give me a book? It's going to solve our problems, right?" And he's like, "Just read it over and over again." And I did. And yeah, there's always been like, "Here's another step." Here's yeah. another step. And then, know. and then, like a week later, I came back. I said, "You're right. That book was right. It's just all <laughs> I could do this. Like we, we got this. Like the, it was the answer is always there. That's what it was. Yeah. He goes, the answer is always there. Well, I always like to say like it's not a it wouldn't be a problem if there wasn't already a solution, mm. right? Because then it just wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> like if you can't do anything about it, then there's not a problem. <laughs> I like that. Um, just yeah. like but full trust. Last thing is, what's your favorite thing that uh, that you hear from your clients? Like once they start working with you, like what's the favorite thing that they say that you that you? Well, what's your favorite thing to hear? My favorite thing is, I love to be measurable and tangible with them. So I think there's a lot of coaches who promise the promise the things and no shade thrown at all. And so a lot of coaching is intangible. But what I love to do, 
I have more of a sciencey brain is like to really I take them through a process of before they work with me, they check in on, we just kind of like track metrics on all the things. How fulfilled are you? How stressed are you? How many productive yeah. hours a day do you have? Blah, 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 all these things. So it's really cool to, as we go through the process, seeing those numbers jump. So it's not just like, hey, you're going to experience these things, but they're like self-reporting that they're experiencing this and they're seeing it. So it's something about the benchmark effect. You're like, oh, we're not just having cool conversations. You're not just hyping me up. Uh, I'm seeing these like things actually change before my eyes. And it's just like, it's so fulfilling because like, just like you guys brought up with, you know, I have this gut pain, whatever. It's like, to me, coaching is the most fulfilling work you can do because one reframe, one realization, one release of emotion can like totally change someone's life. That's right. That's awesome. So where can they find you? I'm on Instagram at Delaney McGuire. I'm sure it'll be in the show yep. notes. And if you guys are curious about anything I offer or want to connect, you can reach out there. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.